So I, I rode my bicycle for a year in 2010 uh, from uh, Canada to Colombia, and as part of that journey, I discovered that basically a billion people in the world didn't have uh, access to clean drinking water. So I began this journey and did some higher level education and been on a series of trips with my friends in the last six years. That's all led us to this, to this spot now where we've become very interested in a small scale uh, decentralized desalinization projects. It's really the future of water. Welcome everyone, I'm Stokey be with us for today's Beach Talk. I want to help you understand every word of God that's in the Word of God. God has so many amazing things that He wants to say to us every day. We'll take the time to listen and apply them to our lives. So I want to thank you for being with us today. Now, my objective is simple. It's disciples making disciples and plant churches who plant churches. So in this way, we can see Jesus be a grassroots life and movement that's in us and through us and goes wherever God wants it to. Now in Matthew 12, it says at that time Jesus went through the grain fields on the Sabbath and his disciples were hungry and began to pluck heads of grain uh, to eat. When the Pharisees saw this, they said to him, look, your disciples are doing what is not lawful to do on the Sabbath. Now his disciples were hungry and began to pluck the heads of grain and to eat. Now there was nothing wrong with what they did because their gleaning was not considered stealing according to Deuteronomy. The issue was only the day on which they did it. Now the rabbis made an elaborate list of to do and don't do items that were relevant to the Sabbath. And this violated several items on the list. Now the law allowed people uh, to travel through area to area to, grain enough, to glean enough grain for a small meal from the fields in the area. Uh, farmers were commanded to not completely harvest the crops, to, live a little, to leave a little behind for the sake of travelers and for the poor. Matthew just quoted Jesus offering us an easy yoke and a light burden, and now he shows us the kind of heavy burdens and hard yokes the religious leaders put on the people when the disciples began to pluck the heads of grain in the eyes of the religious leaders, they were guilty of reaping threshing and winnowing and preparing food. Now this represented, you know, four violations of the Sabbath and one mouthful. At this time, many rabbis filled Judaism with elaborate rituals related to the Sabbath and the observance of other laws. Ancient rabbis taught that on the Sabbath, a man could not carry something in his right hand or in his left hand across his chest or on his shoulder, but he could carry something with the back of his hand with his elbow, or his foot, or his ear, or his hair, or in the hem of his shirt, or in his shoe, or his sandal. So they had ways around this. Now, on the Sabbath, one was forbidden to tie a knot, except a woman could tie a knot in her girdle. So if the bucket of water had to be raised from a well, one could uh, not tie a rope to the bucket, but a woman could tie uh, it to her girdle to the bucket, and then to the rope. So look, your disciples are doing what is not lawful to do on the Sabbath. Jesus never violated God's command to observe the Sabbath or approved of his disciples violating God's Sabbath command, but he often broke man's legalistic additions to that law, and he sometimes seems to have deliberately broken those human additions. Um, even some Jews...
Jewish people in Jesus' day recognized that the rules about the Sabbath were mostly human additions to the law. Now, D.A. Carson quotes an ancient Jewish writing that said the rules about the Sabbath uh, are as mountains hanging by a hair, for scripture is scanty and the rules are many. Now, in verse 3, but he said to them, have you not read what David did when he was hungry, uh, he and those who were with him, how he entered the house of God and ate the showbread, which was not lawful for him to eat, nor for those who were with him, but only for the priests? Or have you not read in the law that on the Sabbath, the priests in the temple profane the Sabbath and are blameless? Yet I tell you that in this place, there's one greater than the temple but if you had known what this means, I desire mercy and not sacrifice, you would have not condemned the guiltless, for the Son of Man is Lord even of the Sabbath. Now, have you not read what David did when he was hungry? Now, the first principle Jesus presented is simple and illustrated by David's experience with the priests and the showbread. And First Samuel 21, Jesus reminded them that the human need is more important than deserving ceremonial rituals. The incident with David was a valid defense because it was a case of eating. It probably happened on the Sabbath. It concerned not only David, but also his followers. Now, the priests in the temple profane the Sabbath and are blameless. The second principle Jesus presented also simple the priests themselves break the sabbath all the time perhaps the pharisees didn't understand much about the sabbath observance through through what they did now the reference to the passage i desire mercy and not sacrifice and the pharisees lack of understanding of this principle was also a way that jesus questioned the confidence the pharisees had in their man-made traditions they used those traditions to justify lifting principles like sacrifice above principles like mercy when God would have them do just the opposite. Now, for the Son of Man is Lord even of the Sabbath, the third principle was the most dramatic based on who Jesus is. He's greater than the temple, even as much as they honored and valued the temple. Even more so, he is Lord of the Sabbath. Now, this was a direct claim to deity. Jesus said that he had the authority to know if his disciples broke the Sabbath law because he is the Lord even of the Sabbath. Jesus was indeed greater than the temple. Considering how highly the temple was regarded in the days of Jesus, this was a shocking statement. Yet the temple, as it stood in Jesus' day, did not have the Ark of the Covenant, that important demonstration of the throne and the presence of God, Yet Jesus was a much greater demonstration of the presence of God. He, he was God-made flesh. Now the temple also lacked the Shekinah, the Urim and the Thummim, and the sacred fire from heaven. Yet Jesus is all of those things to us. He is surely greater than the temple. Now, since Jesus is greater than the temple, we should regard him as so. The temple was admired with love and wonder. We should admire Jesus even more. The temple was joyfully visited. We should come to Jesus with even more joy. The temple was honored as a holy place. We should honor Jesus even more so. The temple was a place of sacrifice and service. We should do even more for Jesus. The temple was a place for worship. We should worship Jesus even more. Now verse 9 says, 
Now when he had departed from there, he went into their synagogue, and behold, there was a man who had a withered hand, and they asked him, saying, Is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath, that they might accuse him? Then he said to them, What man is there among you who has one sheep, and if he falls into a pit on the Sabbath, will he not lay hold of it and lift it out? Of how much more value then is a man than a sheep? Therefore, it is lawful to do good on the Sabbath. Then he said to the man, Stretch out your hand, and he stretched it out, and it was restored uh, as whole as the other. The Pharisees went out and plotted against him how they might destroy him. Now, he went into their synagogue. A general theme through this section of Matthew is the rising opposition against Jesus. Sometimes this opposition is expressed against him directly and sometimes attacks on his disciples. Yet, yet we see that Jesus is a faithful Jewish, Jewish man continue to go to the synagogue normally. We might say that Jesus was a faithful church-going person even when he had not reason to be. A man who had a withered hand. Now, at the best, the religious leaders saw the man with a withered hand as an interesting test case. It is more likely that they saw the man as a bait for a Sabbath controversy trap in Jesus. In contrast, Jesus looked at the man through eyes of compassion. Now, these accusers also knew Jesus would do something when he saw this man in need. Uh, in this sense, these critics had more faith than many of us. We did seem to doubt that Jesus wants to really or miraculously meet the needs of others. Now, is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath? Jesus exposed their hypocrisy by showing greater concern for their own possessions than for a man in need, arguing persuasively that it can't be wrong to do good on the Sabbath. Then Jesus compassionately healed them. <clears throat> now, then the Pharisees went out and plotted against him how they might destroy him in response to this display of compassion, power, and wisdom. The Pharisees, in the hardness of their hearts, did not respond in reverent worship or submission, but in hardened, murderous rejection. Now, verse 15, when Jesus knew it, he withdrew from there, and great multitudes followed him, and he healed them, yet he warned them not to make him known, that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken by Isaiah the prophet, saying, Behold, my servant whom I have chosen, my beloved in whom my soul is well pleased, I will put my spirit upon him, and he will declare justice to the Gentiles. He will not quarrel, nor cry out, nor will anyone hear his voice in the streets. A bruised reed he will not break, and smoking flax he will not quench, till he sends forth justice to victory, and in his name Gentiles will trust. But when Jesus knew it, he withdrew from there for a time. Jesus withdrew somewhat from public ministry as the opposition rose against him. This was not out of cowardice, but in respect to God, the Father's timing for the course and culmination of his ministry, it, it could not be allowed to peak too soon. And great multitudes followed him and healed him all. Jesus did what he could to escape the press of the crowds, but the crowds simply followed him. Nevertheless, he responded with compassion, and he healed them all. Now, this is one of the few references in the Gospels of Jesus healing all on a specific occasion, yet it is important and appropriate here. 
Matthew wants us to know that the press of the crowd does not make Jesus impatient or angry. He also wants us to know that the determination of the crowd was evidence of their faith. Therefore, all were healed. Now, behold, my servant whom I have chosen. Jesus the servant is an example to us as servants, but he is so much more than that. He's our servant. He serves us not only in what he did to pass, but also he serves us every day through his constant love, care, guidance, and intercession. Jesus did not stop serving when he went to heaven. He serves all his people more effectively than ever from heaven right now. He will not quarrel nor cry out, nor will anyone hear his voice in the streets. This does not mean that Jesus never spoke loudly. It refers to his gentle, lowly heart and actions. Jesus didn't make his way by overpowering personality and loud, overwhelming talk. Instead, Jesus made an impression upon others by the Spirit of God that was upon him. Now, a bruised reed will not break, and smoking flax he will not quench. This is another reference to the gentle character of Jesus. A reed is a fragile plant, yet if a reed is bruised, the servant will handle it gently, but he will not break it. And if flax used for a wick for an oil lamp does not flame, but only smokes, he will not quench it into extinguishing. Instead, the servant will gently nourish the smoking flax, fanning it into flame again. Now, often we feel that God deals roughly with our weaknesses and failures. Just the opposite is true. He deals with them gently, tenderly, helping us along in a kind, loving, gracious way. Jesus sees the value in a bruised reed even when no one else can. He can make beautiful music come from a bruised reed as he puts strength in it. Through a smoking flax is good for nothing. Jesus knows it is valuable for what it can be when it is refreshed with oil. Many of us are like the bruised reed and we will need to be strengthened with might through his spirit in the inner person in our life according to Ephesians 3. Now others are like the smoking flax and can only burn brightly for the Lord again when they're drenched in oil with the constant supply coming as we're filled with the Holy Spirit. Now in his name Gentiles will trust. Finally the quotation from Isaiah 42 speaks of the ultimate ministry of Jesus. This was something surprising and perhaps even offensive to the Jewish readers but it is obviously scriptural according to Isaiah 42. Now, verse 22, then one was brought to him who was demon-possessed, blind and mute, and he healed him. So the blind and the mute man both spoke and sobbed, and all the multitudes were amazed and said, could this be the son of David? Now, when the Pharisees heard it, they said, this fellow does not cast out demons except by Beelzebub, the ruler of the demons. Now, he healed him so that the blind and, and mute man both spoke and saw Jesus uh, displayed his complete power and authority over demons casting out demonic powers that the traditions of the day considered impossible. Could this be the son of David? The crowds reacted with messianic expectation, but the religious leaders responded by attributing Jesus' power to the prince of demons. Now, this wraps up our time today, uh, looking at this chapter in Matthew, and maybe you've never prayed before. I always like to end our my beach talks with a chance to pray, a chance to talk to God, to talk to him about maybe some things we need to start in our lives. We need to stop in our lives. 
You know, we can always ask for God's help through prayer. Would you pray with me right now and say, God, would you give me a fresh start? Would you help me to stop some things and to start following you to the best of my ability today? In Jesus' name. And as always, have a great day. Thank you for your time. We would love to partner with you. Uh, water is a global problem. It's going to take as many partners as we can to help solve this problem. We'd love for you to partner with us. If you can go to our website at www.oceanwater.com. That's O-C-N-W-T-R.com. We'd love that. Thanks so much.